Hey everyone, just like you, I'm tired of movies that don't do the original book justice. That's why after reading Hamlet, I was thrilled to watch the extended Lion King where Nala is drowned, Pumbaa and Timon are betrayed and executed, and Rafiki is stabbed through a curtain. <laughs> Young Simba just can't wait to be king because he dies horribly from poison. It's called Hakuna Matata. <laughs> Today we're covering Hamlet by Shakespeare. And this is The Book Pile. I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a comic, a father, and if I wanted to be king, I wouldn't kill the current king by poisoning his ears. <laughs> I would just say, hey, what's that over there? And then when he walked over to look, I'd sit in his throne and marry his wife. <laughs> And I'm David Vance. Whenever I experience great theater, it takes me back to my roots. When I played a dead body in my eighth grade production of The Butler What. <laughs> Not a joke. My drama teacher's name was Ms. Portray. Oh, wow. She was for sure named by J.K. Rowling. <laughs> I had a chemistry teacher from Hungary whose name was Miss Wiener, and she hated her life. <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> so I've withheld a shout out for too long. I just need to say hello specifically to Tracy, Gordon, Sharon, Julie, Kevin, Vienna, and Michelle, all fans of the podcast whom I met in Connecticut last year after a show. They were the heartbeat of the audience that night, and I told them that I would mention them on the podcast Forgot to mention that I generally wait 13 months to honor my promises. No, but I waited these last few weeks because I wanted to confirm, and now I can, that I will be returning to the East Coast. I'll be stopping in Providence, Rhode Island next week, March 23rd at the Comedy Connection. Then the next two days, March 24th and 25th, I'll be in Chicopee, Massachusetts at the Comedy Loft. Go to kellenerskin.com for tickets. I know neither of those places are technically in Connecticut, but... All that stuff on that side of the country is like 45 minutes away from each other, right? Those states are <laughs> tiny. Come on by. Okay, I'm going to be real original and start with the hot take that Hamlet is my favorite Shakespeare play. <laughs> Sometimes my tastes are so basic, I feel like a Sim character that was left on the standard settings. <laughs> like, what are your favorite things? Well, Harry Potter, Beatles, The Office, Beyonce, Hamilton. All my tastes were chosen by a focus group. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm going to say all the obvious things, which is that, you know, this play is just so psychologically rich and it rings true 400 years later on a lot of things. Yeah. So I'm really excited to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But Kellen, what did you think? So I hadn't read this since I was 15 and I hadn't understood it ever. So it was <laughs> nice to <laughs> revisit it with a 40-year-old brain and also a book that had page-by-page -page modern English translation. <laughs> uh, it's full of incredible writing, of course, tense situations. I enjoyed it much more than our recent Romeo and Juliet uh, it's got humor, it's got drama, it's got adults that love each other rather than dumb teenagers. So pretty much everything I look for in a good story. Yeah. I do sometimes feel like reading Shakespeare is like, you know Spanish and someone is speaking Italian to you. <laughs> you like mostly get it. <laughs> We're about to go on a vacation to Italy and I keep annoying Ami by just speaking Spanish in an Italian accent. Uh -huh. <laughs> Hola, soy David, mamma mia. <laughs> <laughs> 
Italian, you know, is arguably one of those languages where it's like, is it okay to have fun with the accent? Is it not? I don't think we're quite into problematic territory, so I'm still trying to have fun <laughs> with it. But in my house, if we have any sort of food that's Italian, I have a very specific aggressive way that I pronounce it <laughs> while flinging my arms back and forth, you know. How Italians do. And so so if one of my kids asks for something for lunch, I'll be like, how do we say it? And my six-year-old will be like, I'll have cheese and a salami. I don't even know if salami is Italian. Reminder, as always, we're posting this episode on YouTube. Click the link in our description and go leave a comment. Finally, our next book is Little Women a term I found out actual women do not like to be called. <laughs> All right. And without further ado, here are four lessons that we took from Hamlet. Lesson one, tragedy minus time equals comedy. So obviously that's a play on words, which is something Shakespeare never does. But what I mean mm -hmm. by that is that before there's any tragedy in Hamlet, there is so much humor. Yeah. I think I would call this a dark comedy rather than a straight up tragedy. Oh. And it's also mostly because I hate using the word dramedy. <laughs> so much of this is just so funny to me. Hamlet goes in and out of acting like he's going mad and then maybe actually going mad. It's sort of up to us to figure out which is which, but it makes yeah. for a fun through line for a story that's mostly about death and betrayal and murder. And I want to be clear, it's not like he's making fun of mental illness as if they had any idea what that was back then. Oh, yeah. It's only the idea that back then, apparently going crazy somehow meant that you would just start speaking in very clever riddles and insults. <laughs> so here are a few of my favorite uh, funny moments in Hamlet. At one point, Hamlet is disgusted at how quickly after his father died that his mother married Hamlet's uncle. Uh, he says... Oh, most wicked speed, the funeral baked meats did coldly furnish forth the marriage tables. <laughs> if I were going to interpret Hamlet into a movie, I would show this moment by having a scene at the marriage where someone is like, hold on, this wedding cake looks a lot like that funeral cake we just had. <laughs> I just thought funeral cake was a funny phrase. <laughs> As if anyone is like, all right, who's blowing the candles out? <laughs> who's going to snuff these? <laughs> Shakespeare gives to me the greatest description in history of what it feels like to be made fun of. When Hamlet speaks of how he feels that his uncle is mocking him, he says, he plucks off my beard and blows it in my face. <laughs> most painful, humiliating <laughs> image. That's too specific to be made up. <laughs> Shakespeare's digging deep like, what's the worst thing that ever happened to me? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be crazy, Dave, if you could grow a beard? Anyway, this next <laughs> one. This whole scene is funny to me when Hamlet and Polonius are talking about actors and Polonius at one point is like, well, I, I actually uh, used to do some acting back in the day, you know, which is something <laughs> after living in L.A. this long that I've heard a thousand times. Yeah, <laughs> including from me just now. <laughs> <laughs> 
So when Hamlet responds to him with what all of us have to when someone says that, yeah, Hamlet's like, <laughs> oh, really? What did you do? <laughs> Polonius says, I played Julius Caesar. I was killed in the capital. Brutus killed me. And Hamlet responds with, it was a brute part of him to kill so capital a man. <laughs> and it's just like, okay. <laughs> I'm sure that's what everyone was like. All right, Hamlet's gone bananas because now he can only make dad jokes. <laughs> so one part that isn't supposed to be funny, but to me is, it's when Hamlet is very excited about this extra scene that he's added to this play that the actors are now going to perform in front of this select group of like the royal uh, family and subjects. So he basically whispers to Horatio, hey, I've secretly slipped in a little extra scene into the play that will show a man murdering another man for the throne. <laughs> just like how Claudius killed my father. And then it's just the very first thing that happens in the play. <laughs> Imagine that I was like, I'm getting a ton of people together. We're going to watch Lawrence of Arabia, but I want you, Dave, to just listen for the part where I added a whoopee cushion into the movie. <laughs> but then the moment I click play, you just hear a fart sound immediately. <laughs> a few years ago, my brother Johnny and I were at our company Christmas party. And as part of it, we were watching Toy Story 4 in the theater. Well, Johnny arranged it so that as soon as the Pixar lamp finished its jump across the screen, it was just him on screen. And instead of, <laughs> he's just sitting in a chair in a suit. And then instead of Toy Story 4 playing, it played his fourth grade production of a Lewis and Clark play called Burly Crew. <laughs> All right, lesson two. The things that trouble you make good art. Listen to this quote. What a piece of work is a man, how noble in reason, how infinite in faculty, in form and moving how express and admirable, in action how like an angel, in apprehension how like a god, the beauty of the world, the paragon of animals, and yet to me, what is this quintessence of dust? Mm. You can't read that and not think Shakespeare may have been a little worried about his mortality. <laughs> There's no way he's just pandering. Like he just wakes up and says, well, I'm comfortable with death, but today I'm going to pander to the quintessence of dust fans. <laughs> you can't write something that true without writing from experience. Look at his to be or not to be speech. And real quick, I feel dumb saying this about the most famous speech in theater, but obviously this is about death and suicide. So just be warned if you'd rather skip. He says, whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them. Then later, to sleep perchance to dream, aye, there's the rub, for in that sleep of death what dreams may come. Do you think when Shakespeare wrote that, that he just sat down and said, I wonder what a sad person would say? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Clearly everything he's writing is so personal to him. And I, I would throw out there, if you're struggling with something, you can put it in art because there's definitely millions of people struggling with the same thing. Imagine a crowd of a million people going through what you're going through. Isn't that actually kind of nice to think about? Imagine monetizing that. <laughs> well, it's beautiful. And what I also appreciate is that for someone who is using some type of artistic medium to express pain, not only can it relate to others and 
uh, and touch them, but it also opens up an opportunity for people who don't relate to empathize in a way that maybe they were not able to before. Oh, uh, yeah. Because now I'm afraid of death. So <laughs> thanks, William. <laughs> What is my quintessence? <laughs> By the way, for sure, Alan Dean Foster scooped that up. and was like, oh, I'll use this for, for Transformers 2. <laughs> and then Sam said, to wasp or not to wasp? <laughs> that is the inquiry? <laughs> Frailty, thy name is Megan Fox. <laughs> And who can forget Optimus Prime's immortal advice? This above all, to thine own self, be two different things. Be like a robot and also be a car. All right. Lesson three, be introspective out loud. So I think the saying should go, show, don't tell, unless you're Shakespeare or Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> Because 99% of their stories are just people in a room talking to each other, but it totally works. And I just think it's a different art form, and I love it. I love fiery dialogue, and I also love a voiceless Pixar short. They're just two different things. <laughs> Speaking of which, other than Coco and Soul, my favorite Pixar movie is the first 20 minutes of WALL-E. Oh, the wordless part? Yeah, it's essentially a silent film in this dystopian future that we've never seen before. But then he grabs a ride on a rocket and arrives on that space cruise full of lazy people, and it's just a completely different movie. <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> It goes from criticizing our pollution to criticizing our diets. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, too, because I'm, I'm still not sure what the environmental moral to it all is, other than trash the planet, then leave, and if you stay away long enough, stuff can grow on the planet again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> If robots fall in love, life will return, <laughs> and you come right back and do the same stuff. <laughs> if anything, that, sh that ship lands on Earth, and the next shot should have just been everyone inside getting crushed to death by full yeah. gravity. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the point is, show, don't tell, unless you can tell really, really well. Yeah. So Hamlet, like everyone in Shakespeare's plays, says all of his thoughts out loud, which is also what happens in soap operas. Have you ever watched a soap opera, Dave? <laughs> I actually have not. <laughs> I used to catch clips of them as a kid during the day, like flicking back and forth between the prices, right? And soap operas are mostly just people walking alone in a room, musing stuff like, I could go to Veronica's, but then Jason might be there. <laughs> But they get away with stuff like that because those lines are obviously influenced by Shakespeare. Right. Hamlet thinks he's alone when he gives the most famous monologue in history, to be or not to be. But he's actually overheard, at least towards the end, as his love interest appears in the room. Again, this monologue is full of gorgeous thoughts like, but that dread of something after death, the undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns, 
puzzles the will. Yeah. So how is it that after overhearing the most beautiful, poetically articulated thoughts on life and death, that this woman didn't just walk in like, did you write any of that down? (laughs) (laughs) That was incredible. (laughs) That's just what you do when you're walking around? (laughs) Like, this is the type of stuff I would say... If I just suspected that someone was eavesdropping. (laughs) Oh, sorry about that. I was just thinking. (laughs) So it's just a shame to me that Hamlet died early because I think he could have become a real Shakespeare. (laughs) All right. Lesson four. Psychology endures. Kellen, fast forward 400 years to 2423. Same distance between us and Shakespeare. And try to think about what art from today do you think will still be popular then? My answer, just to spite you, is Radiohead. (laughs) There will still be insufferable college students like, oh, when they did the computer noises, I loved that. (laughs) I loved when they were sad. (laughs) I think that painting, like traditional painting, oil painting, watercolors, I think those will be just because they've endured this long. Uh. And I hope that one that will not exist anymore uh, is when people on social media lip sync (laughs) other people saying funny things. No, so my here's my real prediction. Um, unless our brains get totally changed, like with gene editing or with like human computer interfaces, I think whatever's popular after four centuries will be something that really taps into human psychology because that is mm. so slow to change. Sure. Now, if we figure out how to change it, like like if Macbeth stops being relevant because our psychologies no longer want to murder our boss. Okay, cool. <laughs> like, I'd love a day when no one connects with Othello. But my my point is, part of why Shakespeare is still around is he taps so deeply into psychology that does not change very much. I can't tell you how many different psych books quote Shakespeare. Mm. Do you think it's ever depressing to be a psychologist and know that you will never think of something Shakespeare didn't think of? <laughs> Today, I made a list of a couple quotes from Hamlet and how they connect to my favorite psychologists. So first, Polonius says, Give thy thoughts no tongue, nor any unproportioned thought his act. That idea of keeping things in proportion, you know, don't get caught in the heat of the moment. Mm -hmm. There's a Daniel Kahneman quote. He says, Nothing in life is as important as you think it is while you are thinking about it. You know how when you argue with your spouse, it's the most important argument in the world? Or how when you're discouraged, you are the biggest failure who ever failed? <laughs> like, I, I know it all seems huge now, but tell me what your biggest argument of 2018 was. Oh, yeah, I can't even think of it. All right, rapid fire some of my other favorite Hamlet psych quotes. Brevity is the soul of wit. There is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so try that in court. (laughs) My words fly up, my thoughts remain below, words without thoughts never to heaven go. Mm, Love it. All right, random facts. Dave, you started this whole thing off uh, talking about how uh, the Lion King was influenced by Hamlet, but I wish that Disney would have copied it even more so. Can you imagine... That scene when Mufasa's ghost shows up in the clouds and he'd be like, Simba, your Uncle Scar killed me, so I need you to kill him back to make things better. (laughs) 
It's not fair he murdered me before I could repent of my sins. <laughs> now I'm going to burn and lie in hell? <laughs> Kellen, I've read from Bill Bryson that Shakespeare wasn't the most successful or most acclaimed playwright of his day. There was Ben Jonson and Francis Beaumont and John Fletcher. Well, I want to know, what if that's just because Shakespeare was a terrible actor? <laughs> <laughs> to be or not to be? <laughs> Here's another part that I don't think was meant to be funny uh, of one of the most famous quotes in history. Polonius says, Therefore, since brevity is the soul of wit and tediousness the limbs and outward flourishes, I will be brief. Your noble son is mad. And I just love that it took way more time explaining that he wouldn't explain too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's also fun that he's giving the queen wisdom right before he tells her her son is insane. <laughs> right. <laughs> there were these two Shakespearean actors, Edwin Forrest and William McCready, and they had a big rivalry. And one time when McCready was performing Hamlet in Cincinnati, someone in the audience who apparently hated him threw half a sheep's carcass onto the stage. Whoa. That's how I know the best actor wasn't Forrest or McCready. It was whoever snuck a sheep carcass into a theater. <laughs> how big was that jacket? <laughs> you just slip a $5 bill to an usher like, it's okay. We're just sneaking in some concessions. My son has the popcorn. I have the mutton. <laughs> Another darkly funny part to me is when Hamlet discovers that the skull he's holding in a graveyard was the jester's skull, Yorick, a guy who used to joke around with him and give him piggyback rides when he was a kid. But the emotion to me here isn't quite right, because can you imagine your reaction, Dave, if you were walking in a cemetery and a skull landed at your feet <laughs> and a gravedigger was like, that's your old babysitter, Rachel. <laughs> Like, would you really pick it up iconically and just go, oh, I remember Rachel. <laughs> I think I would be more like, more like, ah, like <laughs> decay is so much faster than I thought it would be. <laughs> Today I asked Ami if she had thoughts on the book, and she said she couldn't give any because she's vegetarian. And I said, what? And she said, Hamlet. Oh, boy. So I dumped her. <laughs> After reading this, to me, it just sounds like she's pretending to go crazy. <laughs> Ami laughs so much at some puns that I find myself doing them more and hating myself, but they do get laughs. <laughs> but then the worst is when I do them and she doesn't laugh. And then I'm like, I debased myself. I sold out and didn't even get paid. <laughs> So this is insane to me. Um, just like Romeo and Juliet, the version of this book that I read was a book published by a division of Barnes & Noble, Spark Publishing, No Fear Shakespeare. <laughs> and when it got to the line where Hamlet says to Ophelia, get thee to a nunnery, there's a footnote that says a nunnery could mean a convent or a brothel. Oh. It's <laughs> like, how is that possible those complete opposite <laughs> things that's like saying oh you're injured you should go to a doctor and by that i mean either a hospital 
or you should be in a boxing match. <laughs> and speaking of Kenneth Branagh, he did a version of Hamlet that is four hours and two minutes long. So it is. Wow. <laughs> it's, it is a unabridged movie. How is it four um, hours? They just, they take their time. <laughs> but if you're not going to watch any of it, I can't say that I fully recommend it. It is long, but my favorite part of the whole movie, you can check out on YouTube. It's a three minute monologue. It's the act four, scene four speech that ends with my thoughts be bloody. Hmm. And it's all one take. It's one three minute take that just slowly zooms out as Hamlet is standing surrounded by this icy tundra. It's beautiful. Wow. I always thought it would be funny as a college student to get a job as a production assistant on one of those huge movies doing like the super long takes like Birdman or 1917 mm. and wait till they're right at the end of the take. And then I just knock over a huge stack of China. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to end with an out of context quote from Hamlet. Oh, there has been much throwing about of brains. <laughs> All right, to recap our favorite lessons from Hamlet. One, psychology endures. Two, be introspective out loud. Three, the things that trouble you make good art. Four, tragedy minus time equals comedy. And five, a convent is not at all what you think it is. Mm -hmm.